All right. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you all doing today? I want to thank Dr. Wakefield for graciously covering for me last week. Until the last month, my wife had never been to the hospital except to have three babies. And on Christmas morning at 3.30, we were in Pagosa Springs. We rushed to the emergency room for a kidney stone and... Vicodin and narcotics are just beautiful things when you're having that kind of pain. They rank pain like 0 to 10, and she put it in a 9, so more than childhood. Anybody ever had a family member or experienced that time? Yeah. So this was an outpatient surgery, which she's, she's good for, and uh, anyway, we are, we're good. But uh, my name is Wes Fryer. I am delighted to be able to teach this class and to be with you for this semester. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, Hopefully you have many instructors and professors in college that love what they teach, because if your teacher loves what they teach, you're probably going to have a better time and learn more. So I hope that's the case in this class. Um, we are today going to be talking about your first assignment, which is the Pecha Kucha presentation, and we're going to learn how to get some copyright-friendly pictures. But first, let's do a non-technological thing. I've given you a piece of paper, and if you didn't get one, if you'll just grab one there in the center table, I'd like you to fold it hot dog style, so fold it down the middle. I'd like to write you to write your first name that you'd like me to call you in this class on it, and then just put this like a place card in front of your computer. And if you will do that each week for me, that will just assist as I'm coming around to help you and we can recycle and be green like UCO wants us to and reuse the same paper if we want. But um, I will probably get to know you even better this semester through the things you write on our class blog and the reflections and writings that you do than even the things that we share in class. But um, it's all helpful as far as being able to have name tags and things. So feel free to be creative. If you want to draw something on your name tag, you, you can do so. Come on in. And uh, just grab a sheet of paper there. All we've done so far is make a little hot dog fold and just make a little name tag for yourself. So. Has anybody had this experience at their house now with touch screens that you try to touch something that doesn't work? This happens to me in this class. Um, we're going to be, as you I'm sure saw in our syllabus last semester, or last semester, last week, um, learning a lot of different things in this class. The main thing to probably look at in the syllabus is the fact that we've got our six projects that are going to be scattered throughout the semester. And we're going to be starting this morning to talk about the, the PowerPoint presentation or the Pecha Kucha. Um, there is not such a thing in this class as a silly question or a stupid question. If you wonder something, something's not clear to you, I guarantee you in two sections of 50, you know, 25 students each, somebody else has got that question. So I want you to feel free to ask your question. I also know that sometimes it's intimidating to ask a question in front of everybody. And so one of the things that we're going to model in this class is how we can use online resources to expand our classroom and have chances to learn in ways that we wouldn't if we just were talking in class. So on our website, if you didn't notice, under resources, we've got a couple things that I want to mention specifically that you might not have signed up for uh, uh, already. Let's talk first about text messaging. How many of you have a cell phone and you use text messaging? You have a text messaging plan. Okay. Resource number four here and I'm going to hold my finger down, and it will give me a pop-up 
so that I can open this in a new tab. Resource number four, I've set up now for the, I guess, third semester, a free TextMarks account. And how many of you get the UCO text messages when campus is closed for snow or whatever, okay? I promise not to spam you. This is optional. You do not have to sign up for this. But I have used this channel to remind about a quiz that's due, to, uh, you know, if something unusual happens, I have a car wreck, uh, you know, something's gone on, we're going to cancel class, I will let you know with the text message. Last semester, I taught at the University of North Texas, and we had 12 sections of this same class, and we all met in the same lab, and somebody had written a note on the door that said, no class today, you know, it was called computers in the classroom. No section number, no hour when it meets, so like half my class left. So this was really cool. I just got to class 30 minutes early, sent a text, hey, we still have class. So I will probably just send between 10 and 15 messages out throughout the semester. If you'd like to subscribe, I tried to do it again, didn't I? You can click here in the box, and you can type your phone number for your cell phone number. Um, and then you can click subscribe. If that does not work, there's another way for you to subscribe, and that's listed on the website, um, and you can actually send a text message. Depending upon the service provider that you use for your phone, you may actually need to follow those instructions that are there on the website that say um, text to the number 41411. Uh, UCOT4T, and you'll have to confirm it in order for it to work. We're going to be learning how to use the smart board in this class. That's one of the required assignments is a smart board uh, project, but I'll be using the smart board to demonstrate. And one of the things that happens as we use a smart board is that sometimes it loses its orientation. And when I move my mouse, the finger, the, um, the, the mouse does not go exactly where I want it to. So a nice trick that works on all smart boards. And how many of you have used a smart board? Anybody used one before? Anybody used a Promethean board before? Crescent Public Schools and some schools have Promethean, which is another brand. Anybody seen a Interwrite board that are these wireless tablets that they pass around the class? I've seen one of those before. Okay. Those are cool. You can have like four or five of them in the same room and the students can be out at their desks having them. Anyway, different tools, but in the case of a smart board, Two buttons at the front, and if I press both of them at the same time, I get the orientation screen. Now, I could simply put my finger on each of these, but if I use a pen and draw a line that ends at the very center of the crosshairs, then I will orient it. If you would like to play a nice practical joke on one of your fellow teachers, it is possible to go into the preferences, change how many targets there are. I think you can change it to be like 96 or something. So, you know, anyway, I've, I've not actually done that as a practical joke to somebody. I don't, the reason they do that is if you really need to be precise because you're doing, I don't know, engineering or architecture, then that just makes a more precise definition of exactly where your screen is. So, that is... Text marks and a little side lesson on the smart board. Next thing is, and if you want to click along with me and see these, you can, or, or you don't have to. You can just take a look. We have a frequently asked questions blog that I've set up. And the reason for this is twofold. Number one, if you've got a question about something, probably somebody else wonders the same thing. 
And for me as your instructor, it's a good use of my time to answer a question really well and put it here because then I can share it with the next person who has that question. So there are a lot of different questions that have been posted here in the past. And if you have a question that you don't ask today in class, um, one of the things that you can do is you can go here and you could search the blog um, for the thing that you're wondering about. For instance, we're going to talk today about getting images from Flickr. So if I put the word Flickr, which is, doesn't have an E-R, it's just F-L-I-C-K-R, I can search the blog to see if anybody has added um, anything about Flickr. And we have So let me see if there's something about CompFight. That's another site that we're going to use today. Isn't that a remarkable example? I should have done this in advance. I'm pretty sure I've got something up here about images. I'll search for image. There we go. <clears throat> These are some different posts um, that relate to images. In the past semester, we did a voice thread project, and someone asked, can we use Google Images for our project? And so here was the answer. Um, what we're going to learn how to do is use CompFight instead. And I actually answered this question by making a screencast, which we're going to learn how to do this in, in our class. And um, anyway, that this is a resource for you to be able to use. So if you've got a question, you can search for it. You don't find it. You can see all the submitted questions and the answers over here um, if you would want to take a look at them. Or you can simply click this button to submit a now, anybody used a Google form or seen a Google form in use before? This is what I used to do this. Anybody used a different kind of survey, online survey? Who's won money from Chili's or one of these you know, restaurants actually filling out their surveys? Anybody ever done that? Is that real? Do they really give away money? Say, I don't know. So has anybody done another kind of survey before? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Do you know, do you know what website it was or how it was? What, what? No, I don't know. Used to be that you had to pay money in order to make a survey, but today you can make these for free. So this is one example of how uh, we'll use this. You can submit that question, and um, I will post that so anybody can come and see it. All right. So I don't want you to hesitate to ask questions, and I also um, want to hopefully model what I think is a pretty good, a pretty good practice, right? If you're maybe if you're teaching, you know, second graders and, and kindergartners, maybe that's not going to be as practical. But if you're teaching uh, intermediate, elementary on up, you could have a website that answers questions, you know, for parents, for kids, all kinds of possibilities for that. Does anybody have a question that you would like to ask that relates to our syllabus or? Um, the class or just anything that you want to throw out at the beginning. Okay. There are lots. Yes. Okay. Did anybody figure out how to change their blog password? No. 
All right. Well, I'm glad you asked because let's take a look. I am using this semester two different free blogs. And one of the most important things that I hope you learn this semester is how to utilize a blog effectively uh, in a class. We are going to uh, be using KidBlog. My 9 o'clock class is using a website called Edublogs. And so all of the students are um, just like we are on KidBlog listed here and they are posting their weekly reflections here. Um, you'll see that some of you have got comments from me, some of you don't, and we're going to talk about that, how, how we manage that. There's a lot of content that's created here. How, how do we deal with that as a teacher? If you would like to change your um, username, um, let me know. Because as I, I think mentioned in the video last time, you do not have to um, use your own name if you would like to be anonymous as far as our blog goes. Now, I'll show you my control panel, and then it'll probably be good for somebody else to come so you'll see what this looks like when you're not the teacher. Because I'm the teacher, um, I've got some more options here. First thing you notice is I can approve comments. I have our site set up so that any of you can immediately post your, your um, posts. You can share your post. It goes live automatically without anybody approving it. However, comments are set up so that I have to approve them. Why do you think that's a good idea for a school blog? Control, control right? Control, that's a huge issue. How do I control it? And you definitely don't want... You know, cyberbullying happening on your blog. Um, you don't want profanity going up on your blog. You don't want links to objectionable materials and things like that going up. Now, if one of you would post something, um, we could see whose username it is. And, you know, things, we're going to mess up, our kids are going to mess up, and we're going to learn as a result of it. But we definitely don't want something to blow up and embarrass us. And so there's no guarantees, but having moderation like that turned on is a really good thing. Um, any guesses how much it costs me to make this kid blog? How much am I putting out every month for you? It's free. That's right. So kid blog is a site that I have heard a lot about, and I um, wanted to you know, try myself because I've used some different tools for class blogs in the past. And so far, I'm pretty happy with it, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Now, as the teacher, I can come in here, and you can see we've got all 25 of you as students. I could come in and uh, change your role. I could switch you to become a moderator. So if I had a um, parent that was going to help me moderate comments or, or assist with this, um, I could make you a teacher, an administrator, those kinds of things. Underneath my settings, um, if I scroll down... is usually where I would change the password, but it looks like it's here under users. Do you have the option to be able to go to users when you log in? Or do you have a control panel at all? Really? Wow. Okay. So I will take that on as my homework um, <laughs> to figure out how, how it is that we can have an automated way of doing that. 
because this is the first time I've used this particular blog tool. And the worst scenario would probably be that I would, you know, either ask you what, well, I wouldn't ask you what your, I would just send you a, a, a what are my choices? What do you think I could do here? Let's say there's not a way for the student to change their password, which seems a little silly. What would the choices be? Well, somehow I as the teacher and 25 of you as the students, we've got, I'll have to figure out how to do this. Why would it be bad for us to leave things as they are now? Yeah, that's right. Everybody's got the same password. That's basically like anonymity. And in blogging, uh, as well as other kinds of Internet use, one of the things we generally want to encourage is accountability. Okay? We want people to know the things we do, we're responsible for. If I have anonymous, I have it set up where, where guests can come comment on our blog, but I'll approve their posts. Um, but when it comes to people posting on there as far as regular posts, I probably don't want anonymity. So what are my choices? Let's say I, I, there's not a way for me to let you change your password. Right. I could just go ahead, generate passwords, send, a, send an email. I do that 25 times. Done. Okay. Uh, what else could we do? Ooh, I like how you think. Tiffany has just suggested I could change this to the administrator. Now, in this context, where we're all free service teachers to be, I'm good with that. What do you think about your class of third graders? How many of you are going to be elementary teachers? How many are going to be middle school? How many high school? All right. Well, let's go to high school. How about your high schoolers? Are you going to make them an administrator on your site? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> probably not. In 2000, no, no, this was earlier, in 1997, when I was teaching in Lubbock, Texas, <clears throat> I was the first teacher at my whole school to have a phone in my room. Do you know how jealous everyone was of me? I was a first-year teacher. Why did I have a phone? Because I got a little grant to get the Internet. How did we get on the Internet in 1996 and 7? We had a modem. Remember that noise? It's still around. There are schools in New Hampshire at school that still have dial-up. They don't have high-speed Internet at school. So what happened, we had my elementary school on the Internet and a high school. The guy who had the high school website let students post things directly to the website of the school. Can you think about where this story is going? Somebody linked something to their site. Somebody thought it was inappropriate. And what happened? No teachers in the whole district for the next five years were allowed to load anything directly to the Internet. It all had to go through one person. Okay, that was 1996. We want to be careful. Um, I think every single classroom should be using the Internet as a learning portal to be able to get the content and have a space where students can publish and share things. Tiffany's idea is a great one, and I haven't even thought of it before. So there's an example of something else. We are always smarter together than we are by ourselves. Be willing to admit to your students that you do not have all the answers because you are not the smartest person in the room, and, and I am not the smartest person in the room either. So that is a, that's an awesome little teachable moment. Anybody think of another idea that we could do besides uh, me email everybody a change password or make everybody admins? Good idea. Why don't you try it and see? Um, LaCree has said, if we say I forgot my password, well, let me reset it. Has anybody tried that? 
Okay? It might just say, here's your password. Oh, okay. All right, well, we're going to go with Tiffany's option. I'm going to make you guys admins on the site. Please don't abuse your newfound powers. Um, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to click here on screen name, so it's going to select everybody. I can do a bulk action and change everybody. Let me see what it does if I change everybody to a teacher. So I applied that. So you're still logged in. Um, click, a, click another link on your site and see if you have a control panel now. You may have to log in and log back out. Did you? Okay, so log, log out and log back in. And now, does it give you more options? A control panel? Well, no, never mind. Okay. So let's instead make everybody an administrator. Okay, so you are now, you now have all the power. Now this is actually good because there's a chance for us to learn how this how this tool works. What's the benefit of not having to put an email address in for each of you? True, you're not going to get spam from the site, absolutely. What's another benefit? Does anybody have a brother, sister, or relative at school in Oklahoma now, a K-12 school, that has a school-provided email? What school, what school do they go to? To, the, to, uh, to here? Okay, but is anybody like, let's say, in elementary school, middle school, high school? Anybody? Isn't that amazing? You know it's basically impossible to have the National Educational Technology Standards met without an email address? But this is true in most of our schools. Most of our schools don't have them. Hey, now that you've got the control panel, how do you change um, how do you change the password? Did anybody figure that out? Go to you go to users, find your name, okay, and then click the edit link. Okay? Then you can, if you would like, Put your email and your password, and I would I put your email in because you can get the site to send you a message. That's the reason I think KidBlog, one reason it's really powerful. No email address required. I can set it up for all my kids who don't have email accounts, and I don't have to worry about that. But we are going to wrangle with you know questions like this. I forgot my password, Mr. Fryer. Okay. So if you put your email address in when you edit this, then you'll be able to email yourself or get your get the site to email you if you forget your password. All right, great thing to take care of. Any other questions? Did you did everybody have to log out or did it just automatically change your automatically change you? All right, cool. Sometimes, you know, systems will require the logout or whatever. But. That's right, I could. I'm going to leave you as administrators, though, for today. Um, and you can kind of explore and sort of see, see what this looks like. Um, I'm really excited to have this chance to be able to use KidBlog. Last semester, I used a website called uh, 21 Publish, 21 Classes. It cost like $7 a month, and I don't think it was worth it. Um, so we're using a free tool. And I would just as soon use as many free tools in this class as I can because I want to use tools you can easily use when you get to your classroom. 
Okay, so we have talked about our text messaging. We've talked about our frequently asked questions blog. Let's take a look at a video. Each week of the semester, I am going to try and share a video that we'll have a brief time to discuss and um, an app that runs on Android and or iPhone, iPod Touch. And this week's video is Did You Know 4.0? As I open this video, before I even do, I'll tell you it's YouTube. What's the problem with using YouTube in schools today? There's a lot of stuff on it. Anybody distracted by anything they see on the screen? Uh, yeah. Related videos. Okay. What else is an issue besides distracting potentially inappropriate things that I could see? Comments. Anybody seen inappropriate comments? Profanity? Of course. It's all over YouTube. Um, What's another issue? Can you get to YouTube from a lot of school website or district networks? It's blocked, even for teachers in a lot of schools. So there's different ways that we can address that. If it's not blocked, as it's not here, there is a website I'm going to use today called QuietTube. And what I've done is I have actually saved this as a favorite. When I click on it, and I say, add to favorites, it says, oh, you're adding a favorite that may not be safe. Do you want to continue? That's because it's a script. Watch what happens when I'm on a YouTube site and I click the QuietTube bookmark. What just happened? Everything just got stripped away. The comments got stripped away. The related videos got stripped away. It's just the video. Now, we're going to look at some other videos today when we get to our section of, about the Pecha Kucha. And these are embedded videos which are on the web page. Okay? They're without the comments. QuietTube is one way that you can share a video from YouTube and have the extraneous information removed. Two other good things that are, that are good ideas for using video. If I simply hit play and I don't pause it and let it load, what can happen when I play this video? It gets stuck, right? It stutters. And then we get bored and we get frustrated. So clicking play and then pause right away can let my video buffer and load in advance so that I hopefully won't have that stuttering problem. You're talking about like change it from like, excellent, good job. Um, I can change my uh, screen resolution for what the quality of the video is. So now YouTube is in high definition. And if I'm trying to load a high definition video, when do you think the internet's slower, morning or afternoon? Generally the afternoon. So that can make a difference too, okay? Other thing I can do with this, I can go full screen with it, which is something that I do want in this case. And I'm going to go back and turn up my volume. And the last thing I'm going to do with this video that's a good idea is I'm going to give you an assignment as you watch it. Okay? I want you to have a, a question in your mind. I'm going to give you two minutes to talk with your neighbor after this video, introduce yourself and talk about some of the statistics that really jump out at you from this video. Okay? Because this, has anybody seen this, a Did You Know 4.0 video? A couple of you are nodding, okay? Uh, it's a year old, all right? In fact, 
look for the number of iPhone applications they say, and then multiply by, I think, five. So I think that's about where we are today, uh, a little over a year. This was made in October of 2009. But I want you to look for some statistics that stand out, that jump out at you, either confirming something you already knew or that surprise you, and then I'm going to have you talk to your neighbor about that. But I think I'll actually stop Rick Astley from singing here. And we will... All right, we'll try this again. Here we go.
And that video actually started as a PowerPoint that a teacher in Colorado shared with his faculty. Uh, Carl Fish created the first version of that, and it's gone through four different iterations now. Um, how many iPhone apps did it say? 65,000, so multiply by five, over 300,000 apps now, I think. And I, we could get a, a more accurate number for that. It's huge. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the number of Android apps is probably going to dwarf that before long, too. Um, this is one of my favorite sites, and I'm going to have a page where I list other resource links that are just sort of random. Um, I use this all the time. It's called OnlineStopwatch.com. You don't have to have any special software. You just go to the web browser. You can count up or count down. I'm going to give you two minutes. I'd like you to introduce yourself to your neighbor and then chat about some of the statistics from that video that stood out for you. Go. phone or whatever, and immediately, I think, I, I still have to go change our text messaging plan because we weren't on the unlimited, and like the first day, I was like, so how many people are you texting? Oh, eight, you know, and I just like, we better go to that family that family plan right away. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, I, I need the reminder. I'm going to write a note to myself right now. as a loud bell. So that's, that's a nice website to use for turn parent share activities like we're doing here because it doesn't, we have smart board software on here. There is a stopwatch on the smart board, but that's nice because that works on any computer. What was something you mentioned or your neighbor mentioned about the video that stood out for you? Right. The number of text messages. Anybody have a teenager who's helping keep that mean or average up? Whether it's a brother or sister, or do you keep the mean up, perhaps, with your texting? <laughs> my mom, or my mom, my my mom actually does text now. Um, anybody have a parent who's who's a texter? Anybody have a parent who refuses to text? <clears throat> I sat next to a guy on the plane going to Amarillo Sunday night, who basically was saying. Yeah, these kids today, they can't write. And 
They're just doing all this texting. That's all, you know. It's like, I think that we get better at what we do a lot of. And if we're not good at writing, then maybe we need to do more writing in school and practice more. I don't really attribute the loss of writing skills to texting. Okay. That's awesome. Well, we'll talk about Pecha Kucha topics because you can choose basically anything you want. That might be a great topic um, if you've already got some research on it. And I'd like, I'd like to hear more about that. You know, it's all about knowing when is appropriate, when's the appropriate time, right? Have you been on a date with someone and in the middle of your dinner, you know, out comes the phone? And, you know, I, I learned this a couple years ago with my wife because we um, have you know, laptops, cell phones, and all that. And if in the evening we're having a chance to sit together to visit and I have any screen out, what does that say to her? You are not important. <laughs> I am not paying attention to you. Okay? And, and that's, it, it's important to know in different contexts, not just a classroom, but in a social space as well. There was a guy in my men's group a few years ago when we lived in Lubbock, Texas, who said, you know, if I go out to lunch with somebody and they can't put their cell phone away for 30 minutes to be with me, I'll never go to lunch with them again, you know, because that's sort of precious time when we're face to face. I know we're all important people. I know we all, you know, sometimes it is critical. My wife and I have a signal. If she calls me twice in a row, okay, like right away, it's an emergency, okay? Because if I don't pick up, she knows I'm busy, she send me a text. But two phone calls in a row, that means you better pick it up. That's kind of nice to have as a pattern. Something else that you talked about with your neighbor. Besides text messaging, may talk about any other statistics or the political campaign. What about that? Absolutely, the amount of funding and and the way in which the the Dean campaign had really kind of started that, and the Obama campaign took it to another level as far as fundraising and activism and that website. I don't know if any of you were on that website um, before, but it was just it was not just about money, it was also about action. And I think we've only started to see the impact of social media on the political landscape of what will happen in our country. They mentioned Iran, but in our country, you know, we're supposed to be the beacon of democracy here. Well, you know, what do we care about? How do we get organized? How do we help other people, you know, take action? Social media will play an increasing role in that, I think. What's that? I'm sorry, I just noticed that you said you're on your site. Oh, yeah. Isn't that nice? We still get the, yeah, sorry, distracting. And I wonder if I, yeah, I can't, I uh, guess I just have to reload it to, there they come. What I do on my embedded videos when I play them, we'll do it with this one, is when you embed a YouTube video and you have the code, you can actually say whether or not to include the related videos. I don't know if, it'll, if that works when you use it on a Google site or not. But, I mean, how about just distractions in general? Do we have any distractions today? Okay. You know, it's huge. And knowing how to make choices, one of the most important gifts you can give anyone is your attention, right? It's a gift for you to give me your attention and not be on Facebook and not be, you know, 
on your email or whatever you want to do. Um, that's true in a classroom, and that's true in, you know, dating and, you know, relationship life, too. Um, the statistic here about the cell phone being the primary way of connecting to the Internet, that's a big deal. How many of you have um, some kind of a smartphone? Okay. The, the smartphone of today is going to be in everybody's phone in five years. The next thing I want to show or share in addition to a video each time is I'm going to share a app. And the app I want to share just real briefly today is called Evernote. And anybody heard of this before? Who's had the experience of writing something on a piece of paper and then not finding that paper later when you needed it? Okay, this happens to me regularly. It happens to me less because I use Evernote than it did before. Evernote is free. It is a place for holding notes, and it's accessible in at least three different platforms. You can get to it through a web browser like I'm about to do. You can get to it on a smartphone, and you can get to it through a free application, and it's also free. Now, I'm about to do something very dangerous. I'm about to sign in to my account on the screen. Why is this dangerous? Okay, once I've logged in, somebody could come to my machine, do something with it, right? At my son's school, class in SAS, downtown in Oklahoma City, the girl who, who uh, carpools with us knows this guy. He actually installed a hidden camera behind the teacher's desk to video her typing the password so that he could get access to the student information system with her password. Now, that is probably not a common occurrence, but do you think any teachers today might put their password on a sticky note and put that in their desk? Or put that underneath their keyboard? Not a good idea, right? Treat your password like you would your credit card. Protect it. What else is dangerous about this logging in process? Right now as I'm on the screen and everybody can see. Anybody ever been outside the password box when you type? Yes. So in this particular case, when I type my password, it's not showing you my characters. Hopefully I'll be able to um, I'll get my, my iPad to be able to plug in um, later this semester, and I'll show you some apps on it, and I'll show you some iPhone apps. The iPhone and the iPad always show the first character when you type a password. So I definitely don't want to be on the screen there. Just make sure you're in the right spot. Okay? I'm going to log in. And I'm going to do a search. I've got, I think, over 500 notes that I've done, and I'm going to do a non-academic example. I happen to like fried chicken. So one of the things that I will ask people who have gone to different places or live different places is where can I find the best fried chicken? Now, I would not remember the name of the best fried chicken place in Memphis. And... Instead of showing it in my dissertation folder, I want to see it in all notebooks because I don't have the word chicken in my dissertation folder. So there it is, Memphis Food, and it's called Gus's World Famous Fried Chicken. Anybody eaten there before? I haven't either, but you know what? Next time in Memphis, I'll be able to find it because I wrote it here. Okay? It helps me remember. So it is really powerful to be able to have all of these notes accessible um, 
not only in a web browser, but in my pocket, in my hand, in my smartphone. If I want to, I can go down to the bottom where it says Downloads, and I can download a version of this for my computer. It has a Windows version. They have a Mac version. And this synchronizes to something that's called the cloud. I'd like you to go to Google right now, and I'd like you to put in three words in Google. Cloud, computing, Wikipedia. We're going to find the Wikipedia article for cloud computing. I would like you to take 30 seconds and looking at that article, figure out with your neighbor, tell your neighbor what cloud computing is. You have 30 seconds. Go. Put it in your own words and tell your neighbor. Cloud computing, yeah. All right, tell, yeah, if you haven't already, tell your neighbor. What is it? Don't read it. Tell them in your own. Tell them in your own words. Who who can explain this image? Some of you are pointing to the picture saying, "It's that." And you're right. But who who can explain that? Put that in your own words. What does it mean? Okay, we got a center location that's expanding, but do you just see one thing in the center? Is this like a wheel? Like a No, there's all these things that are connected. There's stuff in the middle, but there's a lot of them. What else? What's around the outside? Right. I want you to think right now, how many devices do you have in your possession or at your house that connect to the Internet? Okay, let's see who thinks they have the most. Count all the things. I'm talking game systems that might, talking DVD players that might play Netflix or Hulu. I'm talking laptops. You think you're 15? Wow. What are some of the devices you're thinking of besides computers? PlayStation, phone, Wii, Blue Player. Do you have a TV? Do you have a Google, a Google TV or what kind of TV do you have? Does it do Hulu or Netflix or? Its own Wi-Fi. Cable boxes will. Has anybody programmed their uh, cable box before using a smartphone? Because supposedly you can do that. Like I could say, "Ooh, I want to watch such and such," and I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we have Dish TV. We have like the lowest one, but they have an app. I just learned. Right. All those are the devices that are out here around the cloud, okay? So Evernote is one of many applications that run in the cloud. Um, did you know Google is in Pryor, Oklahoma? They have a server farm there. Why would they choose Pryor? What, what does Pryor have? No, they do, actually. Hydroelectric dam, electricity, power. takes electricity to do this. And so... They are also not a strategic target for terrorists, okay? It's not New York City or Washington, D.C. or San Francisco. 
So Google, as one company, has these server farms in a lot of different places. We happen to have one in our state and prior. Um, I've met the guy who was, at least at the time it opened, the manager of the, of the facility. And thanks to those computers being on all the time, more or less, we can connect to things uh, from our computers. So how does that, what does that mean? Well, this is what, how Evernote is working. Okay? We're able to connect via a cell phone connection, Wi-Fi connection, wired internet connection, and be able to get to our stuff. So check it out. It's free. I will be sharing other apps, um, one per week, just as something that might be helpful to you to think about for your own personal technology use and also um, for students. Because taking notes, I bet you, is something we're going to keep doing for a long time. Who has heard of a Pecha Kucha before? Anybody? I have a yeah, go. Huh. Really? For, and he says it's the College Survival Guide? Cool. Well, one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do in our blog, we're going to have generally a weekly post that we'll do. But if there's anything like that that you find that you would share, just put a link up. Um, I would not be the person I am today without all the people I learn with. Okay, That's my students that I work with, teachers that I work with, uh, and others. So I, I would, that's cool. Uh, feel free to share that kind of stuff on our blog because that's, a, that's a, a place where we will all have a chance to share, put our attention and, and be able to learn from. Um, who's done a PowerPoint before for class? Some kind? Okay. Who's been bored before watching their, par, their peer students do these long presentations that drag on forever? All right. Death by PowerPoint. I'm going to share with you a, a little video that summarizes some of the worst things to do with PowerPoint. Don McMillan, I will uh, caution you, there is one piece of profanity. He will say H-E double hockey sticks at one point in this video. Um, again, just a couple uh, PowerPoint tricks. I can, um, I can click the video to play it here, but if I want to make it large, I click the actual PowerPoint or the actual video, and it opens in a new window. I'm going to let this buffer up. I'm going to make it... This one is in high def. I'm going to make it large. And we are going to try not to do these things in, our, in this class. We're going to try to do the opposite of these things. There's some things I hate about PowerPoint, and I figure it's kind of my duty to point them out. So here we go. Here's common PowerPoint mistakes. Uh, number one, uh, people tend to put every word they are going to say on their PowerPoint slides. Although this eliminates the need to memorize your talk, ultimately this makes your slides crowded, wordy, and boring. You will lose your audience's attention before you even reach the bottom of your uh, first slide. Please, please don't do that anymore, please. Uh, number two, most common, uh, many people do not run spell cheek. Big mistake. Nothing makes you look stupider than spelling errors. If it's got a red line under it, recheck the spelling. And finally, I hate this. Uh, avoid excessive bullet pointing, only bullet key points. Too many bullet points, and your key messages will not stand out. In fact, the term bullet point 
comes from people firing guns at annoying presenters. Hence the bullet point. Uh, bad color schemes, not good. Clashing background and font colors can lead to distraction, confusion, headache, nausea, vomiting, and loss of bladder control. I can't stay on that one too long. Here's something I've noticed. Uh, the number of PowerPoint slides you have in your talk, uh, the less uh, useful your talk actually is. Unfortunately, uh, my presentation is right there. I've also noticed this. People love to pack data into their presentation, but they shove more and more data thinking it's better. It's not. The more data you have, the harder it is to read your slide, and the effectiveness plummets. Now, you can, uh, you can improve the effectiveness by adding some shading and some 3D effects, and then some second order and third order effects, and then, I know, let's add some labels. That'll help a lot. And that, that's pretty much every marketing slide I've ever seen right there. Then some like VP of marketing standing there going, it's real clear in Q4. What the hell are you talking about? Now I'm I'm into uh, in animation. People become animators in PowerPoint. You can have things flying all over the place, and that can be good. If you're a visual learner, that will improve the effectiveness of your performance. But if you're easily distracted, more animations and people have no idea what you're talking about. They're just, wow, that is cool, wow. And there's regions here, by the way. There's the uh, simple but uh, effective region. There's the active but confusing, the uh, effective but boring, the active but ineffective, the dull but static region, the uh, busy but useless, the ADD only region, the uh, useful but amusing, the stupid but confusing, the dull triangle, the hyper triangle, the sleepy square, the dizzying pentagon, and everything else I just uh, call pointless motion. That slide right there took me an hour and a half to make right there. PowerPoint can just suck the life out of you. It's amazing. I've also come up with this. It's a kind of a little science I've invented called font analysis. Basically, the font you choose says something about who you are as a person. There's a huge list of fonts, and you choose one, and that says something about you. So be careful the font you choose. For example, if you choose Courier New, uh, it happens to be my favorite, uh, you're probably organized in structure. If you choose Matisse, it means you're artistic. And if you choose Times New Roman, it means you're lazy, apathetic, and unimaginative, and you always use the default. Oh. A lot of Times New Roman people. Welcome. We have some more. Uh, if you use freehand script, uh, you're a horrible speller, so you try to hide it with a hard-to-read font. Very smart. If you use Gothic, it means you're very pale and you wear black. And if you choose Wingdig, it means you're a nerd and you have no life. In fact, if you know what those symbols mean, you will never have a date. Trust me. Don't bother. All right. So we are going to try and find an alternative to the typical PowerPoint. And this is not a problem that we're describing here limited to schools. This is an article from the New York Times in April of 2010. Oops, I didn't mean to go to that ad. Um, this is a literal slide that was shown to Stanley McChrystal, who is the leader of NATO forces in Afghanistan, explaining U.S. engagement strategy in Afghanistan. This is ridiculous. There is no reason to create this kind of a slide because it is confusing. It does not help 
people understand what you are trying to do. We need to stop using PowerPoint as a document program and instead use it as the visual media program that it was designed to do. So one of my favorite books is called Presentation Zen, and it's written by this fellow, Gar Reynolds. He had a great post back in August of last year. Remember Star Wars A New Hope, Episode 4? This is General Dodonna. Look how well General Dodonna is using his visual medium. If it was a PowerPoint, it would probably look like this. The battle station is heavily shielded, and here are the PowerPoint bullet points. And we all conclude with a motivational, may the force be with you. Okay? You will not have to purchase a textbook for this class, because I've actually had some guilt. Um, last semester I did at North Texas, I was able to become the instructor for the class a little bit late, and I didn't have a choice. They had to buy the text. There's a lot of great free resources that are available. I'm not saying no, there aren't textbooks worth buying. There are, but we're not going to have to buy one in this class. However, this is a great book I would commend to you. You do not have to read it, but Gar Reynolds makes these points about presentation saying let's stop PowerPoint abuse. In fact, it's his mission in life to try to help end PowerPoint abuse. So, what is a Pecha Kucha? It is a six minute and 40 second presentation. You have 20 slides. They will show for 20 seconds each. You will not advance the slides. The computer will do it for you. It started as a way for people in nightclubs in Japan to give quick presentations. They're also called 20 by 20 talks. There are other formats called lightning talks and ignite talks. I think the ignite model um, is 15 slides, 15 seconds. So I think that means they're done in five minutes. And there's all kinds of examples of these. I'm going to do a demonstration for you here in a minute, but you can link, if you want to, to the website pechacucha.org. There's 182 presentations here about lots of topics. I cannot vouch for the content of these. I did not create these. I did not vet these. But there are some pretty amazing things here. Here's one called Painting with Light that was shared in Barcelona, Spain. If I click play, this is a video. So we will not only see the images, but we'll also hear the audio. Painting with, with Light. And I'm going to tell you about the method. And, and you can hear the presentation. Last year in the spring, my example was called Things I Want You to Learn About in this class. I actually uploaded mine to a website called SlideShare, and it not only allows you to share your slides, but if you want to, you can record your audio. And you may have noticed I'm wearing a little audio recorder around my neck. You can buy these now, RCA, for $35 at Walmart. This is battery operated. It's USB. It just plugs into any computer. I don't have to have a special cable. And one of the things I'll be doing, hopefully as long as I remember my battery um, and have it charged, is I'm going to record audio for each session of our class this semester and just post that online. Not because I think you'll want to check it out every week, but I know stuff will come up and some of you will be absent. And if you are, then you can access that if you want, in addition to all the resources that we'll have on our site. So in this case, I just took the part of my recording. And if I want to go to a particular slide and hit play. Learning. And how about online polls? Every day of the semester, you've used Poll Everywhere to check in. All of us created a Google and that reminded me of something. Did we check in today? Oh, we didn't, so I'm glad I remembered that. Um, let's do that now. If you would, at the um, 
homepage for our website, if you click on Schedule, you will notice that next to week two, there is a link here that says 9 and one that says 11. And if you open up the 11 o'clock link, here is a Poll Everywhere poll where I would like for you to put in your name and submit that form. Okay? That is how we will take attendance each week, and I neglected in this case today to um, have that up there. So, yes, the link is here under schedule, and it's the one that says 11. So um, I will probably stay consistent as far as kind of how we've got the format set up for the weeks, and so your link is just going to be that 11 o'clock one. Poll Everywhere is a free tool that lets you create those kinds of polls. It lets people actually vote with their cell phone if they want, or as we're doing in this class, we can uh, vote with a text message. All right. So those are all examples you can see um, online. What I am going to do now is share with you an example presentation. Your assignment steps are listed here, and you can see that you're going to select 20 pictures about your topic. I do not want you to use transitions. I do not want you to use bullet-pointed uh, text in this. The idea of a Pecha Kucha is to use large images and use those to complement what you say in your presentation, not insult your audience by reading the slides. You are welcome, if you would like, to have note cards or whatever else you would like when you present, because you're not going to have to post this online. We're going to present these in class, all right? And your assignment for today's class is going to be sharing a post about some of your ideas, okay? Now, if you're thinking about doing something really radical and on the fringe, check with me and let's talk about it. Um, but feel welcome to do something that might challenge us. Like if you want to do something about sex ed in schools and what teen pregnancy rates are here in central Oklahoma and STDs and why we've got our head in the sand about some stuff, I mean, that, that's fine. Um, I'm not sure why that light went off. So these are the assignment steps. And what we're going to do after I show the demonstration here in a little bit is I'm going to show you some different websites besides Google Images that I'd like you to use to get your pictures. And we're going to practice doing that and give you some time to practice in PowerPoint. But right now, I'd like for you to evaluate me as I do this presentation. So if you are here on our Pecha Kucha presentation page, and if you're not, you can go to our homepage and under schedule, you'll click for week two, Pecha Kucha presentations. The fifth link here at the top says use this online peer evaluation form. And it's going to open up a yellow page that looks like this. We are going to use this same evaluation form for everybody when they go. And I know this is the first time we're face-to-face -to -face together, and you might not want to give me, you know, open critique and uh, feedback or whatever. Uh, so feel free, if you want to, under what's your name to put anonymous. You don't have to on this one use your real name. You do have to put something in there. The name of my presentation is going to be Oklahoma is not China. This is the rubric for your assignment. It is a very good thing, whether you're using technology or not, to have a rubric that you provide to your students in advance, and it communicates what your expectations are for the presentation. I am going to provide you, when you do your presentation, 
with all of your classmates' feedback, except I'm going to take their names out. So you're not going to know who said what. But you're going to get all of their feedback as well as mine. But their feedback doesn't affect your grade. I will give you your grade. And these are the criteria that I'm going to use when grading your assignment. Okay? Image selection and quality. Were the pictures full screen, high quality images? Did they complement the topic? You're going to rate on a scale of one to five. Pacing and fluency. We're looking for a conversational tone. I, I really don't want you to come up here with your presentation written out and say, in China in 2006, they decided blah, blah, blah. Okay? I would, I would like for you to use your presentation slides to communicate with our audience. Make eye contact with us. All the things that a good presenter would do, I want you to model. Now, let me also say, I don't want to intimidate you and scare you and have you walk out of here in a minute, you know, in 45 minutes. i got to drop this class. I can't do this. I am actually a professional presenter right now. The main way I make money is going to conferences and sharing presentations. And I'm not saying that I have this all figured out. But I am saying don't be intimidated, okay? Because the only way to get better at something is what? Practice, okay? And we are teachers. We are going to be teaching. We are going to practice. And we're going to have opportunities to get feedback. One of the best ways, by the way, to get better at presentations is to use video and record yourself. Have you done that? Is that painful? Yeah, just recording yourself with audio and listening can be a painful experience. But anyway, maintaining attention. Did it follow the format? We're going to look for 20 slides. Um, if you want to use the Inspire model and just do 15 seconds a slide instead of 20, you can. Um, you can just, you know, tell us that at the beginning. And then there's four open blocks. Technical feedback, content feedback, ways to improve, and new learning. So I would like for you to fill this out right now for me, okay, as you watch my presentation. How many of you have a flash drive, a USB thumb drive? Okay, you do not have to have one to succeed in this class and get an A+. But... It's handy because you can put your presentation on it, and that's what I did. I copy my presentation from the flash drive and put it on the computer. So I've opened it in PowerPoint. I will be glad to help you do this at the time you're, pre that you're doing your presentation. You can view your PowerPoint in a slide sorter mode like this where you see all your slides. And does anyone know how to select all of these at once? Bless you. Because what I want to do is I want to put a time on these so they advance every 20 seconds and I don't have to touch it. How can I select every slide? Yes? Um, I believe in animation. If you go to the animation, you want to check. Right. That's a, uh, as far as the timing. I know I'll do that under animation. Oh, and you think when I do it, it'll say? Yeah. Um, it'll ask me if I want to do it to all of them? Uh, i to all. Where do you see that? Oh, look at you guys. Very cool. Always a different way to do it. I didn't even know you could do that. You said right-click, Damien. So if I right-click somewhere over here or right-click on one of the slides, that's usually a good option. Right-click usually will give me the choice. I will sometimes hold down the Control button and hit A. Control A selects all. You can also use the Shift key. If I click the first slide and hold down Shift. Hey, but that's cool. I'm glad to know. Apply to all. So... Underneath animations, how many seconds am I going to give myself? Okay, 20. And I'm going to say apply to all. <gasps> Look at that. 
They now each have this 20-second timing. Okay? So you don't have to have that set before you go. I'll be glad to help you at the time that you're ready to present. But uh, the nice thing about the Pecha Kucha is there's a lot of things that are nice about it. Number one, we know when it's over. It's going to be over in six minutes and 40 seconds. Okay? And hopefully it's going to encourage your audience or it's going to encourage your students to use large images and to, and to uh, speak to those. Now, you're going to see exceptions. I definitely have some slides in here where there's text, and I've taken some screenshots. Um, probably the, the best example Pecha Kuchas are just full screen images all the time. But for this particular one, I shared this presentation in November at a, conf at a little uh, conference that was in Oklahoma City called Open Beta, Open Beta 5. So anybody know how to start the presentation? I can go to slideshow, right, and click it. How can I do it from the keyboard? F5. That's right. And that's how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to hit F5, and it will begin. So feel free to go ahead and fill out your critique here as I do my Pecha Kucha. In 2007, I had an opportunity to go to China for the first time, and I have been there three times since. Most recently in September of last year, and this is the Pearl Tower that Shanghai is known for, and that's the Apple Store. And the iPad was announced in China the week before I got there. Some people had actually slept outside for days to get their hands on the iPad for the first time. But when you think of China, you might think of the Great Wall of China instead of Apple, or you might think of the Great Firewall of China, which we've heard about, which is this big blocking mechanism that keeps people in China from accessing things like the Wikipedia article about Tiananmen Square. In fact, uh, Wikipedia has been blocked entirely. Well, after I came back from China in 2007, I was in Norman Public Schools doing a presentation about E-Rate, which is a federal program that gives discounts on Internet and phone to schools. And what do you think I found when I compared Norman Public Schools at that time to Shanghai, China? far more blocking in Norman public schools than there was in China behind the Great Firewall of China. So it is very common in our schools to see that a website has been blocked. And please understand that my position in this is not to say we should unblock everything in school, but it's to say we need a balance. And here's an example of a website. We have a project called Celebrate Oklahoma Voices. There's actually a workshop right now today that started in Yukon Public Schools. There's over 800 videos that teachers and students in Oklahoma have created. This is blocked in Edmond Public Schools. Why? Well, because we're scared of any website that's, that's interactive or video sites. I think this is a picture of a chemistry balance or a science like lab balance. And balance filtering is what I espouse and I want to encourage our schools to do. And that is, yes, of course we block pornography and we're going to block some objectionable content, but we're not going to block everything. And I, any cat lovers in the audience? This is my fear slide, okay? There's a lot of fear today about internet. And do you remember when, when MySpace was the rage in 2006 and it was all on Dateline about predators and all that? Predators are still out there, but the number one thing kids need to learn is how to respond when they are approached online. One of the myths today, and I started this project a couple years ago, is that some people believe the law requires we block all blogs, all wikis, all social networks from schools. And we have SEPA, FERPA, COPA, all these acronyms that detail it. And this website shares legal opinions about these things. 
The law says a school has got to have a policy to block pornography and other objectionable content, and they have to enforce it. That does not mean they have to block YouTube. That does not mean they have to block every blog. It does not mean they have to block Ning and Celebrate Oklahoma Voices. And so just from an educational standpoint, we need to know this. But what does the research say about kids and predators? Well, Dana Boyd completed her dissertation and got her doctorate at UC Berkeley about three years ago. And in her dissertation, she looked at these questions. And you know what she found the most dangerous thing for kids to do when it comes to online stuff is? And this is also echoed by Nancy Willard, who has the cyberbullying.org. What do you think the most dangerous three-letter word to talk about online is with strangers? Sex. Predators do not tend to hide their intentions. They talk about sex. And kids who go meet strangers that they met online have talked about sex in most cases and know they're going to talk to a stranger about sex. This is the Partnership for 21st Century Skills. And we need in our state, in Oklahoma, a movement to help change our schools from the 19th century model that we've had of everybody sitting still in their desk with their textbook doing the same thing to a 21st century model. And so I started the site balancefiltering.org as a place to highlight information where things are compared. For instance, what states are doing different things with respect to internet filtering. And also to amplify some great examples. Has anybody been to How, Oklahoma? in southeast part of the state. This is a Ning website that Howe Public Schools is using right now. And it's like their own Facebook site, except teachers and students are sharing their work. They are commenting on each other's work. They are publishing what they're doing. And they're doing it all inside this moderated learning community. It's a great example of how social media can be utilized effectively. This is called a cluster map. It's free to put these on your website. And this was the cluster map of my blog in October of last year, showing the places around the world where people had pulled up my blog. I am on a daily basis learning things from people in other countries in other places that I would not be able to learn otherwise. And so to help our schools become more balanced in their filtering, I think they need a report card. And just like this you know, restaurant, I guess, got a, got a grade here on how well they were doing with their food service or their cleanliness or whatever, I am having a tool built this year and I hope by March that is going to allow you at your school to click and get a grade on your filter. These are the schools in Oklahoma this year that have a one-to-one -one laptop program. Anybody know somebody at one of those schools? Oh, the comments about the picture before. Uh-huh. Yeah, the F grade. Yep. What was it for? It was uh, for Proposition 8. Ah, okay. So maybe I need to change that, uh, change that image. Um, we've only got about, does anybody know somebody at a laptop school? I don't teach that one. Okay, which school is it? At Yarborough? Okay. It's one of the 20 schools. This was in Hong Kong last year where at a very expensive private school all the kids had laptops. We need all of our kids to have access to these tools. The digital divide is real now and it is not going to narrow unless in public education we provide not only the tools but also the educational processes and the skills for how to use these tools. And just like these students were creating video in Boston with their teacher Marco Torres last year, um, we need our kids doing that regularly in schools too. So these are my three children a couple years ago at our house. They don't need to just get their media literacy at home. They need opportunities to do it at school as well. So balanced filtering is something that we have some schools modeling, but we need more schools in Oklahoma uh, and other states doing too. Thanks.
exists. So go ahead and fill out that evaluation if you would. Take a, take a couple minutes. Actually, I want to model the same kind of thing we'll do. We won't take 10 minutes for everybody's presentation, but does anybody have any other comments? Or tell me a little bit more about the proposition. That did, um, did you know about that in California or yeah. any background about that? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's about Okay. So did it have anything to do with that particular restaurant? Well, on the flyer it said that the restaurant in question funded Proposition 8. Okay. Well, thanks for that, that background. That, that same idea, I mean, we understand grades. We understand, oh, my kid got a D, my kid got an A, you know. Um, I think we need the same kind of thing for our schools with filtering to say, wow, did you know Edmund got an F on filtering? What's up with that? And I hope that the website will show what the grades are of other schools, like within a 50-mile radius, you know. Oh, what's Deer Creek up to? What's Oklahoma City up to? You know, that kind of thing. Any other comments or thoughts? Let me know what you're, what you're thinking as far as your uh, topics. That's going to be your assignment for this week is to go ahead and put a post on the blog uh, sharing what you're thinking about for your topics. And I'm going to add that here under assignments. On our assignment link, we've got a calendar, and then you'll be able to see your assignments for each week. And if for some reason something happened with the blog, um, come talk to me after class, and we'll get you, if you weren't able to log in or something, something strange happened, um, I'll, we'll get you fixed. But this is where I will be posting our assignments for each week. And so your assignment this week is going to be to um, do three things. Post about your Pecha Kucha idea. And you can kind of see we all sort of use similar topics for ours. This time you might use as your title um, what your topic is. So if you're thinking about presenting on martial arts, because that's something that you're, you're passionate and you have interest in, you might include that as your title. You know, if everybody says Pecha Kucha topic, that won't be as informative as, um, you know, picking the, the topic that, that you do um, or that you're thinking about. Yeah, I mean, if it's really far afield, if you're, yeah, if, it, if you're wondering, is this too edgy, um, you know, talk to me about it and, and we'll see. And it might be fine, but um, I'd like you to pick something. You'll, you'll educate us. One of the things I'm doing differently this semester is we're doing this first. I did this as the last assignment in the spring. And that was a real bummer because we learned all these things about our classmates, but it was the end of the semester. So I'm putting this first because in addition to learning about images and the process, you know, we'll learn stuff about each other too, which will be valuable. So if you've got a favorite summer camp that you love to go to and you want to tell us about that, um, our family just lost our old golden retriever. We have two. We had two in Bailey over the holiday, and we learned about Sooner Golden Retriever Rescue in Norman. They have 35 golden retrievers right now from ages 6 Months to 12, I think, waiting for adoption. Some of them are in kennels. Maybe that's your thing. You're passionate about that. Tell us about it. I had students last semester uh, who've been able to travel abroad. Tell us about their trip. 
One, one went to Germany, and so she told us about her trip to Germany. One of my students actually went on a vacation to the new Harry Potter uh, theme park, and I think that was like, my, I, I brought my six-year-old to class that day, and she was glued to be able to hear that. So you can do it about a lot of different things. The main thing is follow the rubric. Use full-sized images. Use your slideshow to complement what you're saying. Don't read us the slides. You know, um, follow the, the guidelines. Any other questions about formatting or? Okay. What I would like to do now is show you some different websites that you can use and I would like for you to use in doing your project. And who can tell me why Google Images can be a dangerous and not so great place to find pictures for student projects? A lot of stuff, that's right. Could you elaborate on a lot of stuff? <laughs> what is that? Right. You can search for Coca-Cola, and she may have a Coca-Cola in her hand, but I guarantee you the Coca-Cola is not what the class is going to be paying attention to. If you're right. Right. So I Googled myself and I clicked on images and uh, for an ad for a girl named Tiffany popped up and I was like, oh, that's not me. I quit. Wow. <laughs> I apologize you had that experience completing an assignment for this class. However, it represents what I'm trying, to, one of the points I'm going to make here, and that is Google Images is not a good place to have students go when they search for pictures because of the way that Google is indexed. There are a lot of um, irrelevant results, even for a very innocent-sounding type search. And I will show you a couple things that can make your search better on Google, but I'm going to encourage you not to use it, actually, for this project. And I'm going to show you some alternative sites. If you're not already, go ahead and go to Google Images. You can either just go to Google.com and click Images at the top, or you can go straight to Images.Google.com. <coughs> and over on the side you can click the link for advanced image search. Now, by default, Google has moderate filtering turned on. The other choices are no filtering and strict filtering. What do you think is the best choice for a classroom or your home computer if you've got... Yeah, strict is. Now, your content filter at your school is going to probably, but not in all cases, do some filtering, but... Strict filtering is something that you can turn on. And in the summer of 2009, I think is when they did it, Google added this option to be able to search for images that people have already given permission to reuse. Now, something else that's a problem with Google Images, and by the way, do you think it would be real smart for me to do an example search? No. I'm not going to, right? It is not a smart thing to do in front of a class to do a live image search that I have not done before. In fact, I will not do one on Google at all um, live in front because I just I don't know what I'm going to get. If I have strict filtering turned on, that's a pretty good, you know, a pretty good thing to do to try and uh, eliminate things that might be objectionable. But I'm but I'm not going to do that. The other issue, though, besides the content of the images, is copyright. I do not know 
in almost all cases, I could use this filter and this would help me. But if I just do a standard Google image search, I do not know what kinds of permissions the person is given, and I might not even know who the picture belongs to. So Google Images is not where we're going to go for this project. All right. I recommend when you are using your um, using your resources here and searching for images that you follow these guidelines for finding images. What do you think I mean by homegrown images? What's a homegrown image? Right, Xavier. They are the pictures that either I take on my camera or maybe the ones that I get access to with permission. So if my grandmother, if I'm going to do something about, you know, growing up in um, Duncan, Oklahoma, and, and my grandparents are there, and she's got a, a photo album of books or a shoebox of, of photos, I say, hey, Grandma, can I have permission to use these pictures? Um, could I share them on the Internet? Got that permission? I know everything is good. What's a public domain image? What does it mean to be in the public domain? Or does someone have an example of a public domain picture? Mm, if it's put in the public domain, if the creator of it says, I give this away, I put this in the public domain, it could be. Anybody have another example? Well, you would have to have the person actually um, say, I give it away, in order for it to be in the public domain. Public domain, a, a good example... Um, are NASA images, okay? Every picture, in fact, uh, I'm going to search for Jupiter, the planet, and I bet that we're going to probably have a NASA picture that's going to come up about Jupiter. As I click on a picture here on Wikipedia, if you scroll down, it tells us what the permission rights are. This file is in the public domain because it was created by NASA. Who funds NASA? We do, right? Taxpayers. We've paid for it. So <clears throat> all the media that NASA creates is in the public domain. That means we could do anything with it we want. I could take that picture of Jupiter, put it on a shirt, and sell it with no problem because it is in the public domain, meaning anybody can do anything they want to with it. Does anybody know an author whose works, because they're so old, their works have passed into the public domain? Anybody? Shakespeare be an example? Lewis Carroll, who wrote, what was that? Alice in Wonderland. You know, there was a funny story. My son, for classroom, when he got accepted, and was, he's a seventh grader now, Alice in Wonderland is one of the books that he had to read um, for the summer. And something really weird happened. Um, let's see if I can find this. Um, <laughs> so this was in the summer of 2009. Somebody, we read, we, did, we found Alice in Wonderland um, free. And then he also had to read Animal Farm, which is by George Orwell. Some guy had grabbed Orwell's books, and Orwell's works in Australia are in the public domain, but in the United States, they're not. And somebody had grabbed his work and put it up for sale, and people had bought it on the Kindle. So because Amazon has the ability to, 
they actually sucked it off of people's Kindle devices and then gave them a refund. And that was a little ironic that it was Orwell's works in 1984, as well as Animal Farm or some of the books that happened. Bizarre. Okay? But when we talk about the public domain, this is stuff that everybody owns, and sometimes it gets misidentified. We mentioned clip art. It could be that somebody says, oh, yeah, this is clip art. It's free, but it wasn't even theirs. You know, So it has to be the actual owner. My recommendation to you is... Think about using homegrown media first. Do I have a picture that I can use? And if so, great. You've got permission. Second off, use a Creative Commons image. And that's what I'm going to show you how to search and find. Those are pictures that people have already given permission to reuse, many times even commercially. The last thing is fair use. Okay, This is what we're going to talk about next. Turn to your neighbor, and I'm going to go to my little stopwatch here, and... Tell your neighbor what you understand the guidelines are at UCO for using copyrighted works in a project. And you can add to that, does it matter if you share it on the Internet? If we're not just putting it here in class, we're sharing. Does it matter if I'm going to put it on YouTube? What are the rules about using copyright material at UCO? Okay, you've got a minute. Talk to your neighbor about that. share what they said or what their neighbor said? What do you think the rules are? But it's copyrighted works. Okay. Okay, if we if we do have a good bibliography and we don't post it online. Other thoughts? Well like last semester I had to make a like music video type thing. And I had to make it on my Mac, and it wasn't going to work on the PC, so I had to upload it to YouTube. Okay. And they said it was fine as long as it was, like, one of the private ones where it's not visible to everybody. Okay. So if we limit the access that people have to our products, then, then maybe that's okay. But if we publicly do it. Any other thoughts? Right. Okay. 
I'm going to play two videos for you. One's called The Cost of Copyright Confusion, and then the other one's really fun. It's a remix of, of just all Disney movies, but only three seconds per clip, and it's called What is Fair Use? It's, a, it's at the Stanford Law School, and it's a longer, longer video. There's a lot of confusion about fair use and copyright. One of the misconceptions we have, and this is very common, lots of teachers think this too, is if I do a good bibliography, I'm good. Okay, get my periods right, get my commas right, you know, get everything on there. No, the court does not look at your bibliography. Oh, you forgot your comma in this spot, so no. they don't do that. Um, we do attribution because we're academics, and that's what we do. We give credit. There are licenses like Creative Commons, which part of the license is give credit, and then you can do such and such with it. But fair use does not include, is it, a correct, you know, is it correctly documented? Um, we can actually use portions of copyrighted works without permission under certain conditions. When we limit the access, like you said, we make it private and we don't do public. That weighs in favor of fair use. However, we don't have to if we're using it for a commercial purpose or not. That is a factor. How much do we use? There's a myth that we can only use 30 seconds of a song. Okay. Well, if you're going to critique the whole thing or you're going to make some kind of a mashup or, or remix of it, you can legally do the whole thing. In fact, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission of the United States, issued a ruling this summer of 2010 that said two important things. Number one, it said it's legal to jailbreak your iPhone, <laughs> which people had been con uh, confused about. Uh, and Apple still is confused about. And they also said it is okay to use songs and um, videos in places like YouTube when you are doing a remix, when you are critiquing it, transforming it. It's not okay for me to take, um, you know, a uh, Joe Diffie song or a, um, you know, I don't know, whoever your favorite artist is. Uh, it's not okay for me to just take their whole song, put it online, and basically give it away for anybody to download and use. So let's take a look at this video. This comes to us from Temple University. Renee Hobbs is the person in charge of the Media Education Lab. This is a video called The Cost of Copyright Confusion. And this video is going to, to highlight for us this idea that, yeah, there's a ton of confusion out there. It's not just that people in universities are not sure. Um, lots of teachers are not sure what can I legally do and what can I not do. <clears throat> and they're going to talk about fair use. And then we're all, we'll also take a look at this quick little Disney movie, and I'm going to show you some, some uh, good websites to use um, for your project. I use media every day in my classroom. The third question is about um, how different people may understand the message differently. from newspapers or magazines that students either read or they have read themselves. Um, they use information from like YouTube, the internet, videos that either they enjoy or videos that students enjoy. I need to be able to use materials that I take off air because the videos in the library are just not current enough. 
my students feel that's a, that it's important to use popular music and music videos in creating their art because it explains them, it explains the times now. They're basically giving definition for another point of view. To them, it's their identity, it's their friendships, it's their social sphere, it's their connection to culture. If I can't bring that in, then I can't help them analyze their place in culture and imagine where they might want to be in culture. Copyright law is friendlier to good teaching than many teachers now realize. Fair use is like a muscle that needs to be exercised, but people can't exercise it in a climate of fear and uncertainty. When we interviewed more than 60 media literacy educators, we found that many were concerned about their rights. Teachers get conflicting messages from their colleagues and their supervisors about copyright. It seems like the entire world is copyrighted. If you are a citizen, you need to be able to access these materials to comment on them. While I respect the rights of the copyright owner, the copyright holder, it seems like in the last few years that has really gotten out of control. Everything we want to use, every little piece, no matter how short, seems like it's copyrighted and we can't use it. line is not clear. And I recognize that because when we hosted our own film festival, there were so many questions surrounding the um, guidelines that we posted in the entry form. Oftentimes it was like, well, what if you just use a little of uh, Run DMC's thing, just 30 seconds of it. People would recognize exactly what it is, and it's perfect for what the kids wanted to convey in this particular scene, is it all right? And I mean, I didn't even know. Many students uh, want to incorporate popular culture into their media productions. They want to use popular music, they want to use advertising, they want to do commentary on film and television programs, and in most cases we found that many media teachers prohibit students from using copyrighted material in their own creative production. I really discourage my students from using popular music in the pieces they create in the classroom, in their own youth productions, because I'm fearful about what's going to happen when they try to use it, submit it to festivals, take it outside of the classroom. We found that teachers are afraid to share instructional materials and lesson plans related to the use of mass media and popular culture. At the same time, the, the kids really want to be seen by as many people as they can. I'm just afraid that we might get in trouble. The collective judgment of every creative community informs the interpretation of fair use. Courts take notice of what creators regard as fair and reasonable. Documentary filmmakers got together and developed a consensus about what fair use means to them. They wrote the Documentary Filmmakers Statement of Best Practices in Fair Use. It changed what was possible for them. We can replace copyright confusion 
with a shared understanding of how copyright and fair use protect us as media literacy educators in building students' critical thinking and communication skills. So there, this is a great, great project. And um, just like all the other resources that we're going to be using this semester, um, this is all accessible, and I would encourage you to you know, use these resources to share. I'm going to show you one more video, and then we've got to look at these websites, and then we're going to be out of time. Um, this is a long 10-minute and 14-second video called A Fair Use Tale. And underneath that link, there's a, one that says that there's a trimmed version available, and this is going to go right to the chapter that's about fair use. This is what we're going to look at. You mind running that by me again? I... So what the heck is there? Use. This might sound crazy, but they're they're um, limitations <laughs> on copy, right? <gasps> Use it possible? Yes. Copy, right? Maybe broken, but it's slippery. <laughs> you can borrow. A amount of a copy, right? Welcome to... Then I'll let you teach that guy a lesson. To be believed, there has been a child security breach. Mm -hmm. Right here for you very much, Mr. Filman. It is my professional opinion that now is the time. But how do I know? If it's a fair use. There are certain rules that demonstrate fair use. Okay, first of all, it's the nature of the work. Arnold. Second of all, it's the amount you. Arnold. Oh, and there is one more thing. It has to be something that doesn't change. That the original works value. In the marketplace. Pay attention, everyone. This is important. It's like I always say. Fair use is not right. What? What is it? Fair use is only a legal defensible position. And this is not fair. Okay. Now that's actually pretty hard to watch. Uh, you may want to watch it again. Maybe your kids will love it. Maybe you'll hate it. I don't know. But it definitely demonstrates this idea that we can take portions of a work, we can create something new, make it transformative, and we can do that legally. So what are we going to do for our assignment? If you are, um, we'll just go back to our first spot. You're on the schedule and you click our Pecha Kucha presentations. At the bottom of this page, I have links to copyright-friendly image sources. I was just on this link called Talk With Media. That's where I got those other videos. And what I'm going to show you real quickly are some sites to use, and we'll talk about how you can use them. Um, the first one I'm going to show you is how to use Flickr Creative Commons. Flickr is a website like Picasa Web that's Google's. Flickr's owned by Yahoo, where millions of people share millions of pictures. You don't want to just go to the main Flickr site and search. You want to go here to the Creative Commons search. And there are different licenses. I'm going to show you how to use the attribution license. 23.9 million photos are available right now that the publishers and owners have said, use this however you want. Just give me credit. 
And so I'm going to search for the word lightning, which, yes, I have searched for before. So I did a test, although who knows? We might be surprised. And there's going to be a lot of pictures of lightning that are going to come up. Now, I might be doing my story about weather. I might be doing about tornadoes, storm safety, who knows? But let's say I want a lightning picture. When I click on this picture, who can tell me how I can save that to my computer and put it in my PowerPoint? How do I do it, Damien? Excellent. That's one way to do it. Go to view all sizes to get other resolutions. Now, Xavier, did you have another idea? Because there's another way we might think of for pictures. Well, um, usually I just right-click. Absolutely. So if I right-click, Flickr has a little script here that will also pull up that view sizes. And I just actually learned that recently. I've always gone up to the actions. On your website, I've got a link that says a one-page PDF handout. You can print this out if you want. I'm going to encourage you to be green and not. But this takes you step-by-step step through using um, the website CompFight to do what we're doing here. Now, this picture in its original form is 2,400 pixels by 1,077. What do you think? A little more information than we need? Yeah, yeah it is. So what we can do instead is probably look at um, the large version, which might be 1024 by 768, or almost about that. So this is the one I'm going to save. Now, what happens if I would get this really small version? How can I put this in my PowerPoint? Right-click it, right? And I can either save the picture, which is actually the way I would recommend you do it. I would recommend you save the picture and you put it all in one photo or one folder. Okay, call it your Pechacucho. What happens if, what do you think about that file name, by the way? I want to change that, okay? So, <clears throat> what happens if I put this picture, either by copying and pasting, um, what happens if I put this into my slideshow? What's going to happen? It is going to look, it's going to be small, and it is going to look bad. Let's see, how do I get a new slide? It's under home. So I make this real big. What's going to happen? Pixelates, grainy. Oh, that's not what I want to do with my presentation Zen philosophy. I want to, you know, awe people. I don't want to make them go, oh, that's, that's a crummy picture. So don't get that really small version. Probably the large version is going to be big enough. And when do you need to save this web address where you got the picture? At the end of your project? No, right now, right? You need to save that as you go because otherwise you're going to probably forget where you got your picture. So get large images, and then you'll be able to awe your audience with how amazing your photos are. And at the time you save the picture, copy the address where you got it, okay? Um, Flickr makes that pretty easy. Just copy the address that's here at the top, and you can use that uh, by putting that just right into your presentation. Pardon me, putting that into your presentation. Um, what might I want to do with my font color here if I was going to use that? Yep, what do you think I should change it to? Yep, change it to something that's light, okay, like a white color. And that was my font color, was it? No. Huh, that's changing my whole colors for my slideshow. I'll have to go somewhere else. There you go. 
thank you. Is it here? Okay. Always more than one way to do it. All right. So I would like for you to please try some different sites. Flickr Creative Commons is a great one. The other one I recommend is CompFight in this computer lab. You can't change this to say Creative Commons only. But that's how you do the search, and it will you know, bring up images just like you would see in, in your Flickr uh, Creative Commons search. I've got a link in here from Joyce Valenza. She has a wiki called Playing with Images, and it has lots, like probably 50 different websites that are all for free photos that you can find and use. But I really think Flickr Creative Commons is the best one. I've got some tutorials down here at the bottom that can help you as well. If you save your photos in a folder, this screencast will tell you how you can put them all in your PowerPoint with just a couple clicks, and it will take you through those steps. So I will post your assignment here. Um, make sure that you do write on our blog this week that uh, some ideas that you're going to um, put into your ideas you have for your Pecha Kucha. Um, I want you to comment on two of your classmates' posts and try and include a picture in your post. You don't have to, but try. Remember, next week we're not in class. You'll have an online assignment. If you got a question, feel free to email me, and I will see you all on January 2nd. If you want to come to class next week, the lab will be here, and I'll ask them to have it open for you, but you do not have to come at this time. You can complete the assignment at any time in the week before our next meeting.